that would probably be my advice is, is whatever your venture is, um, you know, and, and if you're nervous to ask for it, that probably means it's a person you should ask, right? It probably means it's because you're worried that they're going to tell you it's crazy because they have the insight that, that you would listen to them if they told you it's crazy. Uh, but one of the things he also, Steve Jobs also said is he's never been turned down. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Business of PT podcast. I'll be your host, JT Moore. In this podcast, we will be interviewing successful physical therapists and learning about their stories in the field of PT. We will discuss a variety of topics such as entrepreneurship, careers, and pathways in physical therapy, as well as important characteristics in becoming a great PT. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you liked it, make sure to subscribe to get updates when new podcasts are released. Thanks, everyone. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the podcast. Today, we have the pleasure of having Matt Camella with us. Matt is the CEO and founder of Nuvio. Nuvio was created to support optimal mobility from hospital to home by developing the world's most functional mobility devices. He is also a geriatric certified specialist. Matt, thanks for coming on. Thanks so much, JT. Great to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to be able to talk more about your product and being able to invent Nuvio and everything that you've gone into that. Could you first off start us by introducing yourself to the audience and giving a little background of yourself? Sure. Uh, Matt Camella, I'm a, I'm a PT, Boston-based PT and CEO founder of Nuvio, where we're really uh, trying to develop novel assistive devices. Uh, I've been a PT in this area for close to 10 years now, mostly inpatient rehab settings. Uh, the vast majority of my experience, mostly as a, as a a uh, full-time therapist with some uh, rehab director roles uh, as well. There we go. And I wanted to know, how did you initially get into PT? And uh, has that something that you've always had in mind? And can you ex- kind of explain a little bit of your career path? But how did you end up deciding in, in the route that you've gone? Sure, yeah. Um, I was pretty undecided in, in college for for good couple of years. It was probably early in my junior year that I, I figured out that PT was the route I wanted to go. Uh, I think I had a lot of interests and none of them felt like a career, you know, I was interested in business, interested in psychology, but it didn't feel like the, the options for careers were, were fits. Uh, I didn't have, you know, uh, major injuries or something, you know, in high school. Uh, but I had a few family and friends who all separately suggested PT. You know, they all kind of like thought, you know, as I'm having trouble figuring something out, they they felt like it was a fit for me. Uh, they felt like it was a good field to get into. 
So I started researching it, did some shadowing, uh, got a part-time job at a, a super small clinic, uh, outpatient clinic. Uh, it was, it was just one full-time PT and, and me at the front desk and, and, you know, running and getting him towels and stuff. Um, and liked it. Uh, I graduated and I, I went on to, uh, uh, University of Central Florida uh, is where I got my DPT. Um, I was for the first couple of years of that very heavy on the sports med outpatient focus side. I definitely thought that was the direction my career was going. Played a lot of sports, big sports fan, just felt like a fit, you know, uh, in aspirations of, you know, being the lead PT for the Celtics or something like that. Right. Uh, and then we had four rotations. First two were very sports heavy. And then, you know, a lot of programs, they try to challenge you, right? They, they say, step outside your box with one of your, one of your clinicals. And for the third one, uh, it was a very last second shift. It was, it was going to be an acute care, but my would-be CI, I think she quit her job. Like the Wednesday before the Monday, I was supposed to start my rotation. I just get pulled into uh, the office, you know, program office. And they're like, we don't have anywhere for you to go right now. And so they scrambled and I wound up in a step-down burn trauma ICU unit at a level one trauma center. Uh, this was in Orlando. So RMC, Orlando Regional. Um, uh, and they found a CI who wanted to take me as a student and started on Monday. And, you know, that was a, a, it was a big shift from where I was supposed to go. And it was a big shift from everything I'd done up until then. Uh, really nervous pretty terrified. Honestly, I uh, had no idea what I was getting into. My CI was amazing. The team there was amazing. Uh, and it was definitely like a turning point, right? It was definitely what I look back at. It's like what sent me into inpatient. I think, you, you know, you just saw in that setting, the value of helping someone move when they barely can. Right. And, and just the way that can have an impact. And, and it just, you know, it, it, it stuck with me. Uh, and then when I graduated, I, I moved straight up to Boston, had some friends up here and, you know, it's a great area for healthcare um, and uh, went straight into to post-acute rehab and, and kind of never looked back. Wow. Yeah. And that's, that's a really cool story to be able to, to have that shift. I know I've, I've talked to people that have had that last second change in a rotation, but for that to be so impactful for you to be able to see that and just realize, Hey, this is something that is so meaningful to me. And like you said, you hadn't, it sounds like you hadn't really expected that, right? Going into that, you were nervous. I mean, I had an imp impatient setting and I was terrified of it as well. But like you said, you are able to see the value, just the, the things that we take for granted in the day-to-day -day basis, how much we can really impact people's lives and change them for the better. And I'm sure that was a really amazing experience to have to set you off in the career that you've had. So no, that's really cool to be able to do that. Thank you for sharing. I wanted to know... Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, from that, I wanted to know, you ended up going with uh, a GCS and uh, that's honestly the first time that we've had someone on the podcast with a GCS. Could you explain to the audience a little bit about what that is and what benefit it has brought you throughout your career? Sure. So it's a, a geriatric certified specialist. Um, you know, I, I think initially it was a, like a, you know, very much a lifelong learning kind of thing, right? Uh, residencies, I think are a little bit more popular now than they were when I graduated. Um, I just felt like I wanted to do something to, to further, you know, my ability to help my patients. Um, I was really in between like a GCS and an NCS. A GCS actually felt more applicable to my caseloads, very geriatric based, also complex injury based. It, it kind of 
covers a, a, a broader spectrum. Uh, you know, there's cardiopalm and, and neuro aspects of kind of that, that additional layer of knowledge that you get. I, I think first and foremost, it definitely was just helping my patients. Uh, at that point that I decided to sit for the test, I also was thinking a lot about non-clinical shifts, um, you know, just like long-term, uh, not being a full-time PT 20 years down the line kind of thing. Uh, part of that was physical. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a very physical role. I mean, PT in general, but inpatient rehab, a lot of max assist dependent patients I kind of threw my back out once. Um, you know, I just felt like I couldn't see myself 30 years down the line. And so I thought maybe it, it would help get some of those, you know, roles, uh, since then, I, I, I did get an assistant RD role and an RD role. I don't know how much it helped, right? Like, you know, I don't know what they were looking at on my resume and if it helped. I think mostly it definitely brought, a, you know, a, a better ability to treat patients. It definitely, it was very applicable to my day-to-day um, and, and I think made me a better PT. That's what I'd probably say, you know, it, it kind of gave me the most of. Yeah, and thank you for sharing that. I think that, yeah. Like you said, inpatient definitely is, I mean, a lot of work physically taxing. And so to, to already have that plan of, okay, how can I possibly still benefit and, and gain knowledge that can help me in, in other aspects of my career of a non-clinical route? Um, I think that's super valuable to, to have that vision and, and forethought of, of knowing how to cr- go about that. And I think, yeah, getting that knowledge and being a lifelong learner is something that I think almost every episode on this podcast talks about is they know that they wanted to continue yeah. to grow and progress and so they wanted something that will help them become that lifelong learner and continue to grow. So no, that's, that's really, really valuable information. Could you explain a little bit about some of the things that you learned or felt like you really obtained throughout um, getting that spe- like getting the GCS and things that if you hadn't otherwise taken that may have taken you longer to uh, kind of uh, obtain or maybe not even gotten with just a clinical experience. Could you explain any of those things to the audience? Sure. I think, I think there's a lot of layers to what we're learning about, you know, uh, geriatric caseloads, they have that balance, right? You know, 20 years ago, it was all ankle pumps and, you know, long arc quads and all that stuff. And we're learning that that's in it, in and of itself limiting, right? It, it's, it's, I mean, they should almost, uh, just go by the wayside completely. You, you can argue, um, and I think there's a lot of that baked into, into GCS, the important power as you age and the ways to, to keep power going for patients, the importance of, I think a lot of metrics, a lot of things that I applied in, in um, you know, much of my time was in a CCRC. Uh, so short-term rehab attached to some outpatient services and an AL and IL. Uh, and a lot of what I immediately applied was screening tied to uh, tied to a lot of things like osteoporosis or functional status changes or mild cognitive impairments, uh, things like that, that you could kind of, you know, are really important. It's almost like preventative, you know, at that age, uh, from decline. Uh, and there was a huge response too to the residents in the AL or the IL or, you know, whoever, whoever it was, uh, it almost like got around, like, like, let's, you know, <laughs> like, like it, it was something that when I would, I would give them those results and maybe, uh, recommend that they go see an SLP or, or whatever. Uh, it was really valuable information for those patients. And, and a lot of that I started implementing off of the GCS. Like it definitely wasn't kind of like, you know, tools in my tool chest until, 
I, I learned what I did studying for the GCS. Gotcha. No, I think that's, those are valuable tools to have in the tool chest, tool, tool test, chest to be able to have and to be able to use. So that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah. And that's, that's, that's something that I've learned that people have gotten these, these specialties have really been able to expedite or increase their knowledge at a much faster rate than they otherwise would have. So thank you for sharing that. I also wanted to ask you, obviously, we introduced you as the CEO and founder of Nuvio. I wanted to know, could you be able to explain that to the audience? And did you ever come up, like, how, did you ever imagine yourself being an inventor in PT school or before that? Or how did that all come about? Um, not at all. <laughs> uh, uh, not even a little bit, just a short no. <laughs> um, I, I think it, it really built over time. I mean, for me, having these populations as my case, right? It's nine out of 10 of my patients, but maybe 99 out of a hundred have some sort of assistive need, um, whether it's a, a walker or otherwise. Uh, and I think that the CCRC that I mentioned I was in, what was really interesting for that experience was in the same day, I would see patients in an outpatient setting with an assistive need and then go to, you know, an inpatient room where it was day three post-op and you would see a lot of the equipment overlapped, a lot of the needs overlapped. They were just at different stages of recovery. Like it, it sort of felt like there was this like across the continuum uh, set of gaps. Uh, I also felt like I was noticing patients getting older for the surgeries they were having, um, which you know surgeons would also say, I, you know, I can't believe I'm doing this surgery 20 years ago. We wouldn't have been able to do this surgery for this 93 year old. Uh, seeing past medical histories get longer, right? You'd see a a hip replacement that used to be just the primary diagnosis and maybe a secondary. And then, you know, now it was more and more common to have a longer and longer past medical history. And that was anecdotal stuff. Uh, you know, and we also know that that's happening in a demographic shift type way, obviously aging populations, multiple chronic conditions are really like, uh, kind of blowing up healthcare spending to a certain extent. Uh, so I felt like I was just seeing that firsthand and tying it back to assistive needs, it was more assistive needs, like a greater scope of those who needed walkers and otherwise, whether chronically or in recovery and to a more significant degree. Uh, so it took that frustration, I feel like to another level. I felt like every year it got more and more like, you know, and I think one of the things I was always frustrated with or, or otherwise is you know, there's so much modification and compensation that you do with assisted needs populations, right? There's an inherent impairment that you're trying to put them in position for success and remove these barriers. And there's a lot that we can do in the clinic. And there's a lot of tech that we have that's tied to the clinic. But by and large, once you get out of that controlled clinical setting, it's a very kind of dated, stagnant set of options for that same person. And so that always felt like I wasn't able to, you know, we say as PTs, therapeutic progress translate to functional progress. It felt like that translation was, was lacking, you know, not maybe because of skill of, you know, myself and other therapists, but to some extent, it's kind of, you know, the tools that you have at hand. Mm -hmm. um, so I think at a certain point, this just turned into, oh, well, what would I do, right? If I, if I, if I built a different device and then suddenly I, I was trying to tell myself that maybe I could be an inventor, you know? <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, that, that's super cool that you, that you saw a need in the continuum of care and providing that and you wanted to provide that best, that best 
plan of care or that best treatment for the, the individuals. And you saw that there was that gap and you wanted to address it. I wanted to know, how did you come up with the first prototype of Nuvio? And obviously how much has it changed since then? I've had, it's been interesting to hear that from other inventors that we've had on the podcast, but yeah, how did you come up with the first one and how has it progressed over time? Uh, it's changed a lot. <laughs> um, so when I started thinking maybe I could, I, I could build something, you know, I'm, I'm not super handy. Uh, I also didn't know where to start at all. And it was probably over the course of a year that it was a lot of, I, I built a notebook that I probably have somewhere that was sketching ideas and stuff that like probably broke the laws of physics, but you know, I, the ones that seemed like maybe they could be realistic. I'd on an odd Saturday be like, all right, let's go to Home Depot and, and, you know, get some PVC pipe and build something and like total failure. And I would, you know, stand there over it and be like, this is ridiculous. Like go back to your day job. What are you doing? And maybe six months later, another idea would pop in my head. And it was probably a year of that. And honestly, going further than that is very much related to the pandemic for me. Uh, my wife and I moved to Brooklyn, New York on March 14th of 2020, which, I mean, the Saturday before the world shut down, basically. And we moved to the epicenter of the reason the world shut down. Uh, she got this amazing promotion. I, you know, my non-clinical thoughts were starting to build. So I was like, maybe I'll use this as an opportunity to you know, take a unique role. We were, we were going to be there for like a year or two with the role that she took. Um, and I kind of set up that I could come back to my role in, in Boston. So it was really this like, let's just try something. Uh, but I had a very little bit of PRN set up at the outset, like when we moved uh, with the idea of getting the lay of the land and, and, then, and then finding something full-time. And so I basically just didn't have a job for a few months. Uh, and, and, you know, the pandemic and all of that. And we lasted like two weeks in our apartment before, you know, getting out. And we went up to New Hampshire at a family's lake house. And we were up there for like two or three months. At first it was filling time with continuing ed slash, you know, watching the last dance over and over. Um, <laughs> uh, still one of my favorite documentaries, but um, good one. then I don't know, maybe I saw that notebook. It just kind of, those ideas popped back in my head. Uh, and I credit the fact that it, it wasn't just another couple days of failure uh, and, and move beyond that with the fact that I kind of, I don't know, I got more curious and I'm, I'm failing, like I'm trying to build these mock-ups in my garage and I'm totally failing. And I just like kind of asked myself, well, what would success even look like? Like, I don't know how to build a product, right? Like what, what would a path that could lead to a product on the other side of it even look like? And you know, I have some family and friends who are engineers. They started telling me, you know, industrial designers and, and these, you know, they're product developers. And I started reaching out and I really credit with a handful of conversations with industrial designers and, and engineers early on who that's what they do for a living. Just 10 or 15 minutes of their time kind of telling me like, you don't need to hire someone like me yet. This is that first stage that you're in. You're in that idea stage but make a process out of it, you know, make a protocol, document what you're seeing, you know, like see if you are progressing through these, these mock-ups that you then throw away, or if it's just going nowhere. And they're just very gracious with their time and their insights. Uh, and so then I, I remember at one point, I was like, I don't want to commit too much to this, but let's say a month, you know, I'll, I'll do a month of this and see what's on the other side of it. Uh, 
And it was definitely, their insights were very helpful. And six weeks later, I had a, a provisional patent on a, a proof of concept, very crude <laughs> wood mock-up with, you know, some, a lot of explanation of what it, <laughs> what it was supposed to be if it, if it ever turned into a product. Dang. Well, that, that, and that's, that is really, really cool that you, it was obviously that through a different means than you ever thought, I'm sure, like with the timeline that happened and, and things falling as they did. But that was really cool that you had people surrounding you that were able to be, like you said, gracious with their time to be able to help you and to get that ball rolling. Because like you said, you were trying those things, you were, you were giving those attempts, but there was, there was some roadblocks along the way. And then just kind of getting you around those detours got you to where you're at. With that then, so you started creating that. And then what happened after that? Did you tar- reach up, reach back out to those people and say, hey, could you help me out? Or how did that all go? Yeah, it was it was a combination. I definitely circled back to a, a couple of them um, who felt like general fits if I ever got to like a further stage. Uh, and then kind of a, a, a larger perspective of like, what would this be if I wanted to sell this product, right? What, what's a business out of out of this product? Uh, I learned early on what an incubator is, uh, incubator accelerator. I'd never heard of them, but they basically help. Yeah, could you explain help, that like, to us? Yeah, sure. They, they help curate like early stage startups, uh, some as early as like an idea or like a simple prototype, kind of like mine. Um, and there's actually a lot of them in the startup uh, kind of sphere. Uh, and in all different settings, you know, all different uh, types of products, digital. Uh, and I got into one and, and what they are, a lot of them have different structures, but uh, the one that I got into is a, a health tech innovation focused one out of Chicago called Matter. Um, and it's this national program and they have a lot of mentors in their network. You know, you have a curriculum of how to go to market with a product, how to, you know, what's the regulatory stuff behind a medical device. If you're in that space, uh, if you're building a, a healthcare app, what's, you know, so, so you had this curriculum to choose from, you have these mentors who are all experts in, in their verticals. And then you also have a, a tie to investment to funding uh, if that's a route that you need to go. Uh, and so I got into one of those very early and so side by side with then working with one of these product developers who helped me get to the next tier of a prototype, uh, I was kind of learning, you know, what the short and the long might look like uh, along the way. Wow, that's 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 cool. I had never heard of, the, of those type of communities before, but that sounds like it's super valuable and and really able to, like you said, they they are the leaders in, in those roles, so they know what it takes to get there and kind of helping you along the way with that idea or with that prototype. How did you, how did you come about that again? Or how did you find that? So it was really early research. I don't know that anyone even, you know, told me you should look into incubators. I honestly, I think it was, it was sort of Googling um, and then reaching out to uh, a couple of them to just ask, like, is someone at my, right? Is this the kind of thing that someone at my stage or, or my type of venture would do? Um, and it just kind of spun off from there pretty quickly. Wow, that's, that's really cool. That I, yeah, I had no idea those existed, but that sounds like it could be a, such a yeah. valuable resource for that. Uh, yeah, it was a huge help, especially early on. Um, the, the curriculum that they offered definitely was uh, a lot of really valuable information on, on kind of... Uh, the process, the roadmap that, that might be ahead if, if I 
kept going through it. Gotcha. Yeah. And so then from there, give us a little bit more of the timeline. So you, you created that first prototype, you're in that, in that community. And then what are some of those important lessons that you learned along the way in creating a product for physical therapists and bringing that to market? How did that all go? What are some of those big lessons that you learned? Yeah. Uh, so the third prototype was one that we started actually bringing to users. So it kind of was something you felt like you could, you could hand off to users and it was really successful with the, co- the, the concepts. Uh, it had flaws and this kind of probably ties into to a lesson. It had flaws from a, you know, I basically learned there's such a huge difference between a successful prototype and something that's reproducible, you know, can make a thousand of them, can make 10,000 of them, can make it in a way that you can sell it. You know, when, when you, when you try to make that jump, there's sourcing, there's materials, there's manufacturing process, there's assembly, there's uh, final weights and, and usability and dimensions. And uh, then what does all that cost? And does that kind of jive with what you can sell it for and then make money? And all of those things have to get baked in and be successful in a way that yields the benefits of the prototype, right? And so our our prototype was very successful as a, you would call it like a proof of concept, uh, but it had flaws. It had some structural stability flaws that would be difficult to mitigate at scale. So producing, uh, and it, it was, its costs would have been high. So we had to kind of peel back a couple steps. Um, and that was definitely a, a lesson I would have learned. I think we kind of like pushed to that prototype, me not knowing what we were pushing to. Uh, and after that prototype, we, we shifted to a, this was when I, had, I started really taking it, it seriously. And it wasn't sort of like a couple steps in a project. Uh, and we shifted to a, a product development firm. So a team of engineers and designers and strategists. And, and those were the ones who, who really turned it into something that, that could be manufacturable. Uh, you know, one of the other lessons I, I think I probably learned is, uh, you know, no product can solve for, for everyone which sounds intuitive, right? Uh, but it's, it's, at least it was, it was hard for me to really uh, keep focused on that. You know, every product in the world has a job to be done. It has, it, you know, it's, it's trying to do that job to the best of its ability for its target audience, right? Everything. Um, and I think with assisted needs, the gaps, one, the gaps are large because the equipment just has so much, uh, improvements to be made, you know, so far to go, I think. Uh, but also what's at stake is, you know, we talked about it earlier, what's at stake is really important. And I think what my role has become uh, now having been involved with like a larger team is trying to be a patient advocate. So every time the engineers and the designers want to change something along the lines of like, this will save costs or this will, you know, meet a requirement otherwise, they're doing something that inherently in my mind, I'm like, well, maybe we're not solving for someone when you do that. Maybe that's going to impede on this type of cases, gate mechanics or something. Right. And that was a little bit of a hard pill to swallow for me to like focus on a job to be done, knowing that, you know, inherently there, there may be some of my patients that I started this for that were no longer, uh, they're just not going to be able to use this device. Uh, but I think, I think it's just reality, right? It's reality in, in building a product and, and you want to build the best product for your target and, and go from there. 
Yeah, the, not, I think that's really, really valuable insight that you that you had there. That you realize, yeah, you created a a product that was good and valuable, but like we said, is it scalable? Is it going to be able to really get to that audience that you want to get to? And then I want to know: Did your, I mean, your avatar, your audience, your 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 targeted your targeted audience, did that change along the way? And if so, how did you go about deciding? Okay, how do we make those decisions on how do we fit the needs of our specific patient population that we're wanting to help? Yeah, it's a great question. I, I think it, I think it got more focused. I think it didn't sort of like go to, you know, to the side to like a completely different spectrum. I think it got focused, you know, I started with a very large bucket and, you know, we, we got focused on maybe a, a more specific bucket over time. Um, and I think the way we did that is there's a process called benchmarking, which is like, what are the products that are out there? Right. What, and what do they do and what are the gaps that exist in them? Uh, and that's benchmarking against literal products. And then it's also benchmarking against what's called the, the customer journey. So what are pain points in the customer journey? Uh, and through going through that process, we honed in on most typically like a hospital to home type moment. It's often where no device is really best, but you're kind of stuck with either four posts and tennis balls or something similar. Um, and you're probably to some extent struggling, uh, but it's also where there's a lot of, you know, the pain points impact a lot of stakeholders. There's caregiver concerns, there's uh, hospitalization concerns, there's safety risk, there's general independence and quality of life. Uh, and so we really tried to develop with, with that moment in mind, uh, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. And I, I like way how you said you you focused that group. You had a you obviously saw a lot of needs, and so you wanted to try to get them all. But you realized, okay, let's focus on a specific one that really needs this, and how can we best fit the needs of that that patient population? So that's that's really really cool. I think I've I've heard that is like if you're speaking to everyone, you're speaking to no one sometimes, and and trying to find that specific group that you want to speak to and advocate for. And I love that you say that like in the process, you become the advocate for the patient, right? other people are they have their skills and their areas of expertise in this in this process of creating this product but you want to make sure that what like the why behind it is maintaining pure and that you're making sure that in the end the product is the best for the patient that's why you created it and i love that you you've maintained that value throughout the whole the whole process absolutely yeah so with that now explain a little bit of where you guys are at currently um, what your future your future is and and kind of give a little bit of a roadmap of of from where you were at initially kind of in those creating and after that third prototype to where you're at now and where you'll be going. Sure. So we were uh, just finished uh, prototyping. I think our fourth or our, our no our fifth. Um, we collected some data. Uh, we've collected data along the way from from obviously Walker users, but also we we definitely want this to be clinician led. I mean, we see physical therapists, occupational therapists uh, as experts in this space, and their insights and feedback along the way. I've I've tried to gather. At first, it was my network, and then most recently, it was some kind of blown out national market research effort that that we did, um, and uh, the responses has been very strong and very strong to our job to be done. You know, the, the response has been honest of like, this is probably who you're not getting, but this is who you're getting. And we look at it and say, oh, that's great. That's that's what we were hoping you would say. Um, 
And so that's been really exciting. And, and now we're moving to a, a really finished set of samples and products that we want to pilot with. Our approach has been very outcomes measure based, which I think is unique to traditional devices. I mean, the way standards of care change in healthcare, the way innovation comes to be is definitely how are you impacting outcomes in a measurable way. Mm-hmm. And in, it's interesting, we don't really apply that to devices, but there's also a ton of outcomes measurements tied to the use of devices, right? We give someone yeah. a walker instead of a cane because then they're going to do better on, you know, their sit to stand scale and, and their, their 150 feet and uneven surfaces and all that. So we're saying, well, let's take that a step further and actually develop against that and make it a barometer of success and failure and also a, an ROI, right. For our customers, like this is, this is what it's not just sort of like, here's a flashy device uh, or here's this and, and, you know, good luck. We hope it works for you. It's, no, this is this is this can improve outcomes against a device that you would have given to someone, uh, and we've had success with that with with prototype testers uh, in in same day scenarios. You know, they had one device, we gave them ours, uh, and they were measurably uh, more uh, functionally independent. We didn't make them stronger. We didn't improve their endurance. Right, you you just kind of gave them a better tool through which they could move, and and maybe also automatically re- remove some barriers that that other tool was uh, was causing them to have. Uh, and so with those samples, we want to do some, some piloting. We want to really expand on that research um, and, and investigate it further and also substantiate it further. Uh, and then into early 2023 is when we're going to have product ready uh, for, for sale, for full sale to the market. Dang, that, that is really cool. And I loved that you said like your, your focus is based off outcome measures and, and getting those results, right? That it's not just some flashy device that looks cool or oh, it's, this helps. Like, no, we're going to, like you said, our outcomes, sometimes we base us devices on, like to be able to get a better result. Right. And so how about we really see if this is going to help improve those results? Cause at the end of the day, patients want to be able to, I mean, those outcome measures are to help them with their everyday tasks, being able to become more functional and independent ideally. And so if you can help, help along that process and making sure that that assistive device, whatever that may be, if that's the right one that will help enable them to have more freedom, more independence, that's, I don't know, I think it's really, really valuable and a cool way to approach creating that product, right? Is, is using those, that data from those outcome measures. I think that's a really, really smart way to go about creating a product and, and making sure that it's ideal for the patients that you're wanting to be able to serve. Thanks. Yeah, that is really, really cool. Um, yeah, so I, I want to know, obviously you shared some of the big kind of learning and stepping stones that you've had. Is there anything that you would wish you had learned sooner along this process that once you made that connection or made that click, you're like, man, if I could have known this at the beginning, that would have really saved some time or made, like I wouldn't have made this mistake. You kind of shared a little bit of that, but does anything come to mind when I say that? Yeah, I would say a, a- probably a little bit of both of, of kind of the two lessons that, that I learned, but mostly without being coulda, woulda, shoulda, uh, in any way, but just, just a recognizing definitely like if I were to, you know, our next product, I won't do certain things. And one is, is probably the job to be done. That's probably the biggest thing. Um, you know, I, I think I definitely added probably headache and, and heartache, <laughs> headache definitely to like the engineers and the designers by, 
insisting on this and then ultimately having to, you know, focus, right. And just, just recognize that, all right, well, you're describing a device that probably doesn't exist or like it's, you can't, you can't make, like we said, you can't produce a bunch of them. Uh, and I, I think getting focused was, uh, something that I consider it, you know, it kind of comes from just the passion for my caseload and kind of my why, but also it was very necessary from a business standpoint and, and getting a successful product out there. And if I would have learned that earlier, I'm sure we would have been a little bit more streamlined at moments, right? I, I definitely look back and recognize that I added some complication to the process by just saying like, you know, we, we got to get, you know, these cases in there or whatever, right? Um, so I, I would probably say that. Yeah, no, and, and I love that. I think, yeah, making sure that you have that focus and uh, some people call it, I guess, avatar, like that you're really trying to serve is, is so important. And yeah, it, it is tough because you have that passion for, there's a reason why you, you wanted to create and invent this and you want to make sure that that why is in there. And so it is tough to, to try to whittle that down to make it really just fine tune and precise, but it's, you're right, it's a necessary thing when when you're creating you also mentioned like, like in the future, do you have, obviously, do you have future entrepreneurial goals and with Nuvio and could you tear, share us a little bit about that or, or what are your thoughts? How do you want to continue to grow with Nuvio? Yeah, we, we definitely want to, you know, I think especially taking that outcomes measure based approach, you know, you can really set yourself up for next device better than last device, next device better than last device. Right. Um, and you, our product development firm is actually invested. We, we did go through a, a fundraising round uh, over the past year uh, and our product development firm is, is invested partners with us. Uh, they have a lot of capabilities and we definitely want to use this first device as almost a proof of concept of our, you know, concepts of that outcomes based uh, approach um, and be really involved with, with, R&D, uh, you know, with future pilot sites uh, and, and clinical studies and bake smart technology into these devices that can help uh, gain efficiencies and effectivenesses in care delivery, uh, obviously ultimately support patients' outcomes, um, you know, things that maybe we do manually in inpatient rehab settings, maybe you can automate those, uh, making devices that are intelligently you know, we have a, a, a technology, a, a concept uh, that won't be in this first device, but it's a, it's a device stabilizing uh, concept that, mm. you know, we hope to, to build that out to something that's, that's intelligent in a way that, uh, you know, obviously safety is a, a huge, huge element, but mm -hmm. if you're, uh, you have a hemiparetic right side, it can intelligently stay more stable on that side than on your left side and in real time adjust with you uh, so that you can you remove that barrier and then you, you know, maybe see really how that person can move. Things like that yeah. are a lot of concepts that we have um, and we have capabilities luckily with our partners. Um, so that's definitely a direction we want to go. And, and, you know, like I mentioned, I think really being sincere and keeping ourselves honest. Uh, I think that's how I look at the, the outcomes-based approach is, is not grasping at straws and things that sound cool, but, you always come back to that and you have, you have output that, that matters to the individual, to the episode of need and, and all of that. That's, that's really cool. Honestly, just kind of sharing a little bit of what you said of the future that, I mean, using smart technology to, 
to do those things, there's definitely a need for it. Just, I mean, just you saying that, I'm like, that makes a lot of sense. And so, yeah, that's really exciting to be able to hear and be able to see like what the future horizon brings for, for you and some of the goals that you guys have. Um, just to, before we wrap up, a couple of questions that I'd like to ask. Um, it, do you have any words of wisdom or words of advice that you'd like to share with aspiring clinicians who want to become an entrepreneur in the field of PT? Um, you know, recognizing that my venture is probably very unique. I know it's, it's probably typically, you know, put up your own shingle private practice type of type of stuff, but I would say something that that's probably applicable no matter what is, and I'm reminded of a, a, I think it's a Steve's job, Steve Jobs quote, who said not to be afraid to ask for help. And he credits a lot of his success with never being afraid to ask for help. And he also credits a lot of, maybe not failures, but, but people who didn't pursue things with being too afraid. Uh, I definitely look back at that early point. I mean, it was nerve wracking, kind of embarrassing, maybe rejecting what's going to happen, right? To go to these like really intelligent engineers and designers and say like, I've got this idea. They could be like, that's ridiculous. Like, you know, right. Uh, and asking for that help, like I said, I mean, that probably would have stopped it in tracks if, if I didn't do that. So I, I think of that quote and just anecdotally for me, it, it definitely was the case. So that would probably be my advice is, is whatever your venture is, um, you know, and, and if you're nervous to ask for it, that probably means it's a person you should ask, right? It probably means it's because you're worried that they're going to tell you it's crazy because they have the insight that, that you would listen to them if they told you it's crazy. Uh, but one of the things he also, Steve Jobs also said is he's never been turned out. He's never, right? And, and that's definitely been my experience. I mean, people are, are wonderful and gracious and, and very willing to help uh, in whatever way that they can. You know, it might not be yeah. <laughs> the way that you hope, right? But um, that would probably be my, my uh, advice. I, I love that. Actually, as, as you're saying that, what comes to mind, uh, um, Brett Fisher, he, uh, like, He's also a very like well-known physical therapist, but also created the ab dolly. And he talked about the same thing is that he asked a lot of questions that people were, I mean, he was saying, ask questions about things and, and not being afraid of, Oh, like you don't know that. Or like a feeling like the inadequate, I guess, or, or nervousness of it, just being, I'm going to ask these questions and I'm going to hope that they're able to help me out. And I think like you said, people are gracious. People are, are willing to help out, especially I feel like in the world of PT out of all, we're here to help serve people. I think that's one of our main reasons or motives of why we entered the field and so to find people in that space and wanting to help other people i think that allows them to also be wanting to help us in the same sense so yeah i love that you said that just making sure to be willing to open and be vulnerable i guess in that sense of oh yeah there might be a little bit of nervousness but you can gain a lot of knowledge from people around you and and making sure to use that like don't feel like you have to know it all or or be afraid of trying to do it all yourself there's a lot of other people that have a lot of tools and why not make that team and collaboration instead of trying to build your own wheel? Like there's people that have had that, that forethought and had that pass before you to do that. So that's a really, really wise wisdom. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. And then just to wrap up, if someone is interested in, in talking with you or even been able to help with along with the new view process and, and bringing that into their possible clinic, if they're listening, what would be the best way to contact you? Uh, so you, 
you can definitely contact me uh, directly if you want. Uh, Matt at nuviomobility.com is my email. Uh, we also uh, are going to be sharing a lot through uh, our, social, our social media pages uh, at nuviomobility uh, for on LinkedIn and on Instagram. Um, and then our website is, is nuviomobility.com. Uh, like I said, we're, we're structuring those pilots for the fall. We don't have them set uh, for anyone who has interest in those or interest in the product for uh, themselves, their facility, their, uh, their patients, questions in general, uh, uh, questions, uh, you know, you have a, a thought on a venture, I'm more than happy to, to you know, lend an ear. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Matt, thank you honestly so much. That was a really, really good wisdom to be able to have you share those those learning processes that you've had so far in, in your venture and that you're able to have this exciting time of really getting things prepared to go to market and have that experience of, Hey, from an, an idea of, of seeing that need and developing to where you're at. That's really, really cool to see. Like you said, I've loved that you've been able to maintain the why behind what, like what you got, what got you into creating that. So yeah, thank you so much for, for your time being able to share everything. Thanks for having me. This is a a really cool experience. I appreciate it, JT. You got it. Have a good one. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the podcast. I hope you liked that episode. If you did, make sure to subscribe and also leave a review. Thanks, everybody, and we'll see you next time.